Welcome to the Grace Life Church podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. so much, Bard and Praise Team, and get out your copy of God's Word and open with me to Titus chapter 1. We are beginning a new sermon series over the next several weeks, probably a couple of months, um, through this book of Titus, and we will purpose to do the same thing that we've done through any book of Scripture that we've come to, whether it be Philippians or Malachi or Jonah, namely work through verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, expositing the text, seeking not to inform our ideas, our ideas onto the text, but allow God's Word to inform us. That's what we mean when we say that we practice expository preaching. We simply let the Bible speak, and we rather conform our lives to God's Word. And in so doing, the Word of God will accomplish all of its purposes and it will not return void. This is why the author of Hebrews says, for the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the soul, the divisions of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight." but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him who we must give an account. I read that text because I want you to be reminded that it is a weighty thing to sit under the exposition of God's Word. Namely, that true exposition, one ought not be able to comfortably sit if the Word of God is being taught and live comfortably in sin Otherwise, they should be being convicted by the Holy Spirit and thus examining their heart and their life before the Lord. And it's my prayer that as we continue to do this, book by book, verse by verse, line upon line, that the Lord would mature His people, that He would mature His saints. That's Colossians 1.28, that we might present every person mature in Christ. And that is our aim even here. And it's our aim even this morning And it's why the Apostle Paul and the whole book of Titus and in many other places emphasizes both right doctrine and right living. Not just a way of thinking, but also for the purposes of accountability. And then in light of that, I would invite you to stand as we read Titus chapter 1. We're going to look at five verses this morning. And next week we're going to look at four verses and look at verses 1 through 4. This is just an introduction, a very high view, but hopefully a very practical view for us. The Word of the Lord through Titus, chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested His Word through the preaching, which is, which is which I have been entrusted by command of God and Savior. To Titus, 
my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. This is God's holy, inspired, infallible word. If you believe that, would you say amen this morning? You may be seated. I want to give to you the sermon summary on the very outset, and I want to give you just a, a quick note for those of you that are taking notes to write it down if you would like to, but I'll say it a couple of times. The summer, sermon in a sentence or the sermon summary, you could say it this way, is that God desires His church to be healthy and radiant in order to display the splendor of the glory of Christ in a world that is perishing. God desires His church to be healthy and radiant in order to display the splendor of the glory of Christ in a world that is perishing. And again, I want to give you just some high view of the book of Titus, and ultimately that will push us towards some very practical application that we could work towards as we work through this book. But point number one, I want you to consider the author of Titus. In verse 1, the authorship of this book is no longer in question. Paul himself is attributed as the author. Paul says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. There's no reason then that we should doubt Pauline authorship, nor has nearly anyone in church history doubted the authenticity, authenticity of this Pauline epistle. Paul very quickly not only ascribes authorship, but also quantifies his authority of, this, of giving and writing this epistle. Paul says that he is both a servant of the Lord Jesus, and he's also an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we'll discuss that even more next week. But Paul, in identifying himself in that way, it's worth noting the authority of the apostolic office. The apostles or the sent ones in Greek, means to be a messenger. It's one who had been given an authority by Jesus to impart instruction that he is himself has given. And typically it's given to his church and to his churches. It's given on behalf of the Lord. If you remember, or you've studied Acts 1, in the life of the early church, Luke records when the apostles were replacing Judas to that apostolic office, Luke records several requirements, if you will, of apostleship in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. And in short, apostles are those that have, are both followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've also been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're one who has witnessed and can attest to have seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ of whom the disciples most certainly fit that description as they were themselves commissioned, even in Mark chapter 6. Luke also, later in the book of Acts, ascribes apostleship to Barnabas and also the apostle Paul in Acts 14, 14. But Paul also ascribes apostleship to himself in nearly all of his New Testament writings. Paul was not one of the twelve, if you will, he wasn't even a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus walked this earth. Instead, he was a former persecutor of the church. He was one 
that despised the name of Jesus Christ, and but nonetheless, he was one that the Lord sovereignly saved in Acts chapter 9. And if you recall Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, it was the Lord Jesus Himself, the resurrected Christ, that Paul met on the road to Damascus. And having been saved, the Lord Jesus also gave Paul a commission to go in the name of the Lord and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. That's Acts 9.15. And an apostle, unlike a pastor or an elder that has authority in one local church, apostles held authority over a multitude of churches. Their words should have carried and would have carried significant weight, divine weight, if you will, for they are coming from the word of the Lord. They were sent ones by the Lord to give a message of Christ to His Church, and I say all that to say this, that if someone says to you that they, and they come to you and they claim that they are an apostle today, don't believe them. They're not an apostle. And there's certainly no apostle Paul. That office instead has ceased within the church at the death of the apostles in the first century. There are no modern apostles. But such would teach erroneously in movements like the New Apostolic Reformation or NAR, a movement that so often goes hand-in-hand with prosperity preachers and the Word of Faith movement. This claim, they claim that a new wave of apostleship and prophets have been given to the church in order to return the church to biblical practices and then also to lead the church to usher in the millennial kingdom. They are false prophets and apostles. Claimed to have been given power to perform miraculous healings and work signs and wonders before people. Beloved, don't buy their message. They're concerned with an earthly kingdom, not a heavenly one. And the gospel that they preach is a distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead of savoring Christ and Christ alone, they're more concerned about receiving things here and now. They don't treasure Christ. They only treasure what Jesus might give to them. The NAR diminishes Jesus to not only... They say that He's only a man. He wasn't God while He was on the earth. Absolute blasphemy. They elevate the gifts of God and specifically the gift of healing is to be be desired moreover than Christ Himself. And it's often the measure that they would say of one's faith. They further teach that earthly healings are guaranteed for those of true faith. Their teaching denies the sufficiency of God's Word and instead they look for other sources of authority and for divine instruction. (laughs) And conveniently, they say, well, you can look to the apostles of the NAR movement for that authority. They claim to be apostles. They claim to be prophets. They claim to be authoritative in the life of the church. Beloved, if someone says that to you, run. I mention that as a word of warning as your pastor, that as this movement is increasing in popularity. And its primary means of slipping false doctrine into the church is often through worship. 
And one of the many, many leaders, not the only, but one of the many, many leaders and probably the most predominant leader today is a pastor by the name of Bill Johnson out of Bethel Church in Redding, California. There are many, many others, and I only mention that to you, beloved, because of their prominence in Christian circles, especially among contemporary Christian music. But the gospel that comes from there and the gospel that is preached from the New Apostolic Reformation is a gospel that is false. It's incredibly deceptive, containing maybe just enough truth to get you sucked in, to maybe make you feel good. But beloved, where it leads is far from biblical truth and orthodoxy. And it is a far cry from the gospel that Paul preached. And they are far from the authority that the Apostle Paul had. Because when the Apostle Paul speaks, we know that we can have great confidence that the Apostle Paul has been commissioned by God. He has, meets the qualifications by God to go as an apostle of God to give instruction to the church. God used the Apostle Paul to write the majority of the New Testament. And when Paul sits down with a pen and writes this letter to these young protege Titus, we can know that it is God also speaking to Titus. And also, he's speaking unto the churches of Crete. And also, think about it. This word has been kept and preserved even unto us now at Grace Life Church. And when Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. We then have confidence that what we hold in our hands, what is sitting in your lap, beloved, is the God-breathed Word of the Lord. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to hold in suspicion its authority. God Himself has declared His Word to be authoritative. It is God-breathed. It is God-inspired. And the Holy Spirit moved to inspire the writers of sacred Scripture to put pen to ink the very words of God Himself to His people. And isn't it amazing that God not only, not only has God inspired His Word unto Titus and the churches of Crete, but God has also preserved His Word and keeps it so that on a typical Sunday in 2024 at Grace Life Church, we can open up the pages of sacred Scripture and behold the God-breathed Word of the Lord. And so get this. Think about it. If some prophet or apostle comes to you with some new word... You can fact check it. You can examine it. You can see, is this message a message that is biblically consistent and rightly handled in accordance to the truth of Christ and is rightly handed down unto the saints? Is it consistent with the testimony and witness of the first century apostles and its teaching? Is it in accordance with biblical orthodoxy? Recognize the author as the Apostle Paul. Point number two... The recipient. In verse 4, Paul writes to young Titus, says, To Titus, my true child in a common faith, 
We are perhaps familiar with Timothy, Paul's disciple in the Lord, who was sent to pastor the church at Ephesus, in whom that he writes First and Second Timothy. Yet Titus may feel or seem like he is somewhat lesser known, but he is still of great importance and of great help to the Apostle Paul. Paul describes Titus as a true child. Titus was a beloved brother. Titus is a true child, namely that he has been truly born again. Some even believe that the Apostle Paul might have been instrumental in even leading Titus to faith. Paul speaks very similar words about even Titus, or Timothy rather, in 1 Timothy 1, where he says of Timothy that he is also my true child in the faith. We know that Paul did not lead Timothy to Christ, for he was already a believer when Paul met him. But nonetheless, Paul speaks of the genuineness of Timothy's faith, and in the same way, he says Titus is just as genuine as Timothy. Paul is quite sure of the legitimacy of his spiritual rebirth. And we'll see in just a moment that the task that Timothy or Titus was called to was no easy task. He was called to correct churches and bring them back to biblical health. He would swim so often against the grain, so to speak. It would have been quite easy for Titus to have been quickly outnumbered or turned upon or booted out by carnal men and godless leaders and false teachers within the church. And Paul speaks, I believe, to the genuineness of this young man, and I think it's important for the purposes of the task that Titus was to endure. That in the struggle, in the battle for biblically healthy churches, Titus need to be reminded that he was a true believer. That he is one that has been called by God to shepherd and to pastor. And yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, at times, it's going to feel incredibly lonely, Titus. And Paul writes to him and says, Brother, but you're not alone. You're not alone. And as a reminder to Titus, Paul says, listen, I know that you are a true child and I'm with you, brother. You've got other men that are locked arms with you. And more than that, no matter how difficult, how hard the task is, know that Jesus has given you His Holy Spirit inside of you. You are not alone, no matter how difficult. And as a pastor that stands and preaches the Word of God and trust in the work of God and the Word of God to build His church, know that that is enough and that every sense, as Titus stands at the helm of preaching the Lord's Word from the pulpit, Paul says, I want you to know that you're not alone. And in the end, the Lord's Word will be enough and the man who preaches the Word of God and leads the charge from God that he has received from the Word of God, know that he is not a solo endeavor. But the Lord promises to be with him. His Spirit is alive within him. And the Lord will work through the preaching of His Word. Titus was a leader. Specifically, he was one that was to hold authority among the churches in Crete. He was actually left in Crete intentionally for this specific task. You may remember Titus from other passages in Scripture 
most notably that Titus accompanied Paul at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, of which they discussed and defended the purity of the gospel against the circumcision party that, that was teaching that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised according to the law of Moses. And of particular interest, Titus, who was Greek, yet he had not received the mark of circumcision, though he was saved, the Apostle Paul would hold this dear brother up, Titus, as a faithful test, as a true brother who had inwardly been quickened by the Holy Spirit of God, who had received the new birth, and he was genuinely saved apart from the works of the law or receiving the physical mark of circumcision. Titus was also a leader. He was an example to those that wondered how to be saved uh, according by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, or is it works of the law? Titus was a picture that it was a salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Titus was one that was sent to other churches to help to address errors in that, those churches as well, specifically the church at Corinth. He was a person of great experience. He was a person of great wisdom. He knew how to shepherd, and Paul knew that Titus could be trusted. And it was Titus that Paul so often longed for. So long he had served alongside him, and he delegated both Timothy and Titus to be really doctoral practitioners in the life of the local church there, where false doctrines and living had plagued the health of so many churches. Titus was a true brother. He was a faithful brother. He was the right brother to help address the errors in the churches of Crete. And God would use Titus by His grace, with the help of the Spirit, through the means of the preached Word of God, to bring about biblical health to the churches of Crete. You see its author, you see the recipients, and thirdly, note the occasion and purpose. Paul mentioned in First or Titus 1.5 that the reason Titus had been left in Crete, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This young church, this young local church located on the island of Crete, were in great trouble. There was a lack of order that you see in this text. There was a lack of biblical foundation. There were churches that were in disarray and dysfunction. The problem wasn't that the church didn't have leaders. Every church has leaders. The question was or not whether they had them or not. The question was, was, was whether or not the leaders were qualified to do that. And were they leading then according to the truth of God's Word? And the answer to those questions, Paul knows, is a resounding no. And so, Paul sends Titus to address both doctrinal errors and practical errors in the church. We'll say it this way, even the subtitle of this sermon series is that of addressing both doctrine and devotion. The two are intimately connected. Regardless of what you say you believe, you will always live out according to what you actually believe. You'll always live out what you truly believe. You may say you profess one thing, 
but you will live out what you truly believe in your life. The Apostle Paul details the problem, and we'll look at it, that's specifically going on in the churches of Crete in Titus 1, 10 through 16. But in short, it was both doctrinal and practical. The doctrinal error was that they were teaching, the false teachers were teaching Jewish myths, more likely some form of Jewish asceticism. And they arose from, Paul tells us in, first, in Titus 1.10, they arose from the circumcision party. And not only that, they arose not from outside the church, but likely grew up from within. They had wrong mindsets. They had misguided thinking. They had certainly no business leading in the Lord's church. They were not teaching a true gospel. They were teaching one that was false and perhaps one that sounded good from the outside, but it was so full of errors. And they began to take the focus away from the crucified Christ and they elevated ritual. They elevated mysticism. They elevated Jewish customs of cleansing and purity. And in turn, they not only corrupted the hearts or the minds of the people, but they also corrupted the very lives and hearts of the people of the churches of Crete. And that led to very practical errors. Their errors were no doubt lived out by the false teachers that claimed to know God, yet their lives didn't reflect that reality at all. Instead, they lived detestable lives, they were disobedient to the truth, and they were unfit for living righteously. That's Titus 1.16. It was a lifestyle that was being portrayed that did not conform to Christ and His Word, but instead they sought to conform themselves to the way of the Cretans, a society that was known for their blatant immorality and their ungodliness. The fruit of their lives, from the false teachers and also from even the people within the church, not only proved that they were unfit for the office of pastor, but it even took it a step further. The Apostle Paul says they're actually showing themselves not to even be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can imagine the serious danger that these churches were in. The gospel and the purity of Christ was being tainted, and the churches there were being led astray by false teachers and moral compromisers. And so, don't miss this, God in His grace brings to Paul's mind to send a faithful brother, Titus, to bring about biblical health to the local churches there. Which brings us to point number five, the application. This passage, the book of Titus, and really these five verses, but beyond that, teach us some very practical things for today. The first point of application is that Titus helps us to recognize and see the importance of pastors. Paul's first command to young Titus is to appoint elders in all the churches. That is, multiple elders or pastors in multiple churches. Those of you that have been with us on Wednesday nights, and I've even preached here on Sunday morning in the book of Philippians, know that the term for elder, pastor, and overseer are three terms within the New Testament that are used synonymously to refer to the same office. That office is the office that we commonly refer to is the office of pastor. Pastors are to shepherd and guide the church according to the Word of God. They are to be godly examples to the flock of what it looks like to follow Christ. And of first importance, the Apostle Paul says... 
Titus, you must establish godly biblical leadership to begin to turn the tide from dysfunction to faithful, from unhealthy to healthy. There's no greater importance in the life of any local church than the importance of having biblically called and qualified pastors serving in that office. In fact, one of the greatest gifts that God gives to His church is faithful shepherds after His own heart. And in time, even here at Grace Life, as the Lord leads, as the Lord raises up, godly called qualified men, in order for us to remain consistent and faithful to the biblical text, we must affirm such men in that office. Not just any men. Not just popular men, not just influential men, but godly men and qualified men. According to the scripture in Titus 1, 5 through 9 and 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. And it's a day I long for. Because to be surrounded by other qualified and called men, it is a means of accountability for me. It's a protection for me and of great help to me that God has not designed or regarded His church to be led by committees or teams or charismatic, charismatic personalities or deacons. But instead, God says that His church is to be shepherded by biblically called and qualified pastors who are acquainted with the Scripture, who love the Lord, and who minister to and love the flock of God entrusted in their care. And when Paul sought to see the church move in a positive direction, Paul says there is a top priority that we've got to get in place here, Titus. The churches need pastors. They need a shepherd to shepherd them. It shows us the importance of pastors, but it also, secondly, shows us the importance of right doctrine. The Apostle Paul has sent Titus to a very difficult context to correct and to put into place things that were out of order in a situation where the truth of God's Word was already being manipulated and distorted and maligned by false teachers, Titus would have to correct and undo so much bad theology and practice. He would have to challenge wrong mindsets. He would have to correct years of error that had been taught. And at the end of Titus 1 and into chapter 2, Paul gives Titus the remedy to see the church come to life. And it's through preaching sound doctrine. Look at the very end of Titus 1. Talking about the false teachers, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And that's why God gives to His church faithful shepherds, faithful pastors. And that's why Paul says, Titus, I have left you in Crete. And of first importance to appoint godly men to be at the helm of the pulpit and the preached word. But beloved, I am convinced of this. I am convinced that nothing is more important and nothing is more central to the life of a local church than what is being preached from the pulpit. There's nothing more important to the life of a local church than that. Absolutely nothing. 
And if God's Word is being faithfully proclaimed from the pulpit, sound doctrine is going forth, and the people heed it, and they respond to it in faith to the Word of God, the church will come to life. That's just how God has designed it. But more often than not, flesh gets in the way. But if a church will bear with sound doctrine and that which accords with the truth of God's Word, there is you can take it to the bank. God will build His church. You can count on it. It may take more time than you want it to. It may not look like you thought you wanted it to look. But God promises to build His church upon the preaching of God's Word. And when we humble ourselves and forsake our flesh and our own pride and we sit under the authority of the preached Word of God, the Lord builds His church and something beautiful comes to the local church. That's why Paul commends Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2 that not only is the Word of God God God-breathed, but it is the message, Timothy, that you are to preach always. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing and His kingdom. Come up with savvy outreach programs. That's not what He says. Come up with cliche marketing schemes. That's not what He says. Come up with pragmatic means to grow a church by the world's standards. That's not what He says. What's he say? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort in complete patience and teaching. And this is why time and time and time and time again, the same recipe is given to the churches in the New Testament. Think about the church of Corinth. You talk about a dysfunctional church. The church at Corinth was having orgies when they came to take the Lord's Supper together. You hadn't seen dysfunction like the Apostle Paul had and like the church at Corinth. And time and time and time again, the same remedy was given like clockwork. You want to see the Lord's church come to health? You want to see the Lord's church come to life? The same modality, the same therapy, the same prescription was given every single time. Titus, here's the word and you preach it. Timothy, here's the word and you preach it. Whatever, whatever programs you have, let them all fall aside and you focus on one thing, beloved. You preach that word. And God will build His church. And He's not going to build your church. And He's not going to build my church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And He does it through the preached Word of God. It also helps us see the importance of right devotion. On the heels of Paul's commands to teach what accords with sound doctrine, he immediately turns his attention to right response to that truth, namely how to live in light of the good news or of the preached gospel, of the sound doctrine that is preached. Look what he says in Titus 2.1, But as for you, teach what what accords with sound doctrine. And then immediately addresses contextually the living of the people within the church. 
He starts with the older men in verse 2. He moves to the older women in verse 3, and then even to the young men in verse 6, and then to the bondservants in verse 9. In other words, right devotion is never to be divorced from right living. They always go together. And we not ought be content with holding one over the other. To say, well, I think rightly, therefore I don't need to apply the truth to my life. Or that I live rightly, and so I don't need to be concerned with the truth of the Bible. Beloved, we need both. We need right thinking, and we need right living. And that was the problem for the false teachers in Crete. And that was the problem for the churches there as well. They had divorced right doctrine from right practice. They needed not only to be rightly taught, but they needed to learn to rightly apply the truth of God's Word. Two more and I'm done. It shows us the importance of Christian distinctiveness. Look at Titus 1 verse 12. One of the Cretans a prophet of their own, says Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. That if you were to peer into the culture of Crete, even among their own people, they would say of themselves, don't miss that, what the Apostle Paul has just said. One of their own prophets says this about them. We're liars, we're beastly type people, we're lazy, and we're gluttons. And the temptation and the reality of what was beginning to take place within these churches is that the churches were then conforming themselves to live in such a way that conformed to live just like the people in the society of Crete. And the pastors who were unqualified to lead were the ones leading the way. Welcome to the first independent church of the liars, where we're all liars here. Welcome to the second Baptist church of evil beasts. If you're an evil beast, you'll fit in fine just here. We're so glad that you've come to visit us. We're the Lazy Gluttons Community Church. It's so good to have you. And the temptation of so many churches and so many Christians, even today, is to appeal to the world and to say, we're just like you. <laughs> so come on in. You'll find great company here. Are you listening to me? Would you wave at me if you're listening to me this morning? A church doesn't win the world by becoming like the world. A biblical church of the Lord Jesus Christ lives distinct lives that are separate from the world and they shine by virtue of that and shine as lights in the midst of darkness. And how many churches attempt to win the world by becoming like the world? Water down the gospel. People aren't ready to hear that yet. Water down the truth of God's Word. We'll see what marketing strategy we can come up with. We'll play a certain style of music. We'll try to make our speech sound cool and sound hip just like the world. And it isn't long until they're thinking like the world and it isn't very long until they're living just like the world either. Everything's acceptable at that end. No need for accountability. No call for Christian distinctiveness and Christ-likeness. But hey, we want you to come. Come and be just like us. Beloved, a biblical church of the Lord Jesus Christ will never water down the calling 
of Christ to blend into society? Or will they appeal to the world by the world's standards, but instead will live distinct lives to adorn the gospel by their fruit? And then lastly, Titus helps us to see the importance and the beauty of the church. Paul is a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And this is what we'll spend next week almost entirely devoted to. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords to godliness. Beloved, all of this that Paul writes to Titus, and you could also include to Timothy as well, that's why they're called rightly the pastoral epistles. You could also include other books in there as well. You can include all of Paul's writings and his epistles. We're all written to local churches. You can include the writings of Peter. You can include the writings of John. You can include Hebrew certainly within that. You can include the Revelation as well. The entire New Testament speaks of the importance and the beauty of the local church. It is the field on which the New Testament is played. There is Nothing to be more prized, more desired, nor longed for, nor worked for than to see a church become biblically faithful and healthy. And I just, I mean to tell you, if you get just a glimpse of it, you wouldn't want anything else. That's all you'll desire. That a church that submits and follow God's word, that resembles the commitment and togetherness of the New Testament, you'll center your whole life around it. It'll become the most important institution and commitment that you'll have apart from the Lord Jesus and your own family. It is the epicenter of all that God does and how He moves through His word is in the context of the community of faith called the local church. And don't miss this and don't ever forget it. May it be ingrained at the front of your mind. There is one institution so cherished, so valued by the Lord Jesus Himself that He laid down His very life to save her and it is His church. There's nothing more important to Him. And that's been true throughout all time and history. There's one institution that God has given His very life for. And what Paul so desired and longed for, for the churches of Crete, and what Titus so longed for and desired for the churches at Crete, and what the Lord Jesus so desired and longed for for the churches of Crete, is for them to become healthy, vibrant, true to the word, local churches. And that's true throughout all the history, all the way down to 2024, to a little local church called Grace Life Church. That God desires us to live in this same way. That all the instruction that Paul will give, all the commands that God will give to Titus and to the churches at Crete, that we would heed them and we would conform our lives to it. And so God in His providence, this is so neat to think about, He had the apostle... Paul, write a quick little letter to a young pastor named Titus. And he tasked him to shepherd the churches in Crete. And those instructions have been kept, they've been preserved, and they mean to be applied even to us today. That we might grow, that we might learn, but ultimately that we can conform our lives 
to what God has spoken through His Word. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.